Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. Uh, what a blessing to be with you this morning. I honestly and truly can't think of, well, let me take that back. This is the place I need to be. This is the primary place I want to be. I was going to say there's no other place that I would rather be this morning. Um, part of me wants to just be alone, um, but it's better that I be here. Um, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, I want to broach a topic with you this morning. Some folks have heard these words before, some haven't, but I'm going to give you a, some insight maybe as to what this exactly means. When I mentioned the term seeker-sensitive, it's been a term to describe churches for a while now that would use the world to draw people into the church. In other words, to make things be comfortable, to make things be convenient, um, to make things uh, be... Um, associated with in, in a way that folks can feel like that they've uh, it's easy for them to come in and, and we've all had these thoughts well I just want people to feel comfortable coming in um, you know it's amazing when I think about that because even one of the ways that we talk about we you know we want a casual atmosphere so folks don't feel like they have to dress up just to come in and stuff I, there's nothing wrong with dressing up I was dressed up yesterday uh, at a wedding. I, I, I don't choose that. I normally just ask the bride what their colors are and stuff because I'm not going. I would rather have God upset with me than some bride. Can I get a witness? Uh, I'm just joking. I would not rather. But one reason, the reason that I don't wear a suit has nothing to do with making you comfortable. God convicted me of that. And I don't know why I'm saying this, but I was in my closet, which is not my closet now. I've been kicked out of that closet and had to move to another closet. But, um, and I'm noticing there's an invasion happening in that closet too. But anyhow, one Easter, before that Easter Sunday, I believe it was a Saturday morning, I was uh, looking in there, and at that time I had a rack of suits and all the way down to the little tuft to go in your jacket, you know, to match your tie and all that stuff. And I was in there going, well, what, what combination are we going to wear for Easter this year? And God spoke to my heart, and I know um, we have differing opinions. I'll just put it this way. The Holy Spirit moved upon my heart that it didn't make any difference what I wore if he didn't show up, it would be of no good. And so I told Christy, I said, you want to go shopping with me? Sure. I said, I'm going to go get me something to wear for Easter. And 
she didn't know at that point really and so we went and I picked me out a sport coat and a new pair of jeans and a few shirt to go with it and she said when you gonna wear this I said Easter Sunday tomorrow really I said yep Because God continued to convict me, and I'm not saying that this is what everybody should do. This is just what I have to do. I would meet with people through the week, like see people out, invite them to church, be witnessing to them. And the first thing that they say about coming to church is, I don't have the clothes to wear to come to church. And my next words are, don't worry about it. As long as you're covered up, just come on. And then they show up, and I look like pimp daddy. You know, I'm decked out, you know, and to the nines. And I was like, I kind of lied to them, didn't I? Because I told them it didn't matter, that God was more concerned with them than he was with the brand of clothes they wear. wear. And then I got into, so I, I just say all that to say, it's a hard road to hoe, the whole seeker-sensitive thing. And then I want to ask us a question. Should we be a seeker-sensitive church? Now I'm going to give you an answer, but I need you to hang with me and so that for the next 35 minutes, hang with me so that I can give you my reason behind this. Should we be a seeker-sensitive church? My answer is yes. But as the first point states, sensitivity to seekers starts by understanding what they're seeking. Now, I want to read these verses, verses 38 through 45, out of Matthew chapter 12, and I want you to, if you would, follow along with me. It says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered and said to them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days in the, and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be also be with this wicked generation. Father, this morning, would you, as always, I ask that you would do what only you can do, God, with your word. May you open our ears that we might be able to hear, our eyes that we might be able to see what the Spirit of the Lord has to say through the word of God this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Sensitivity to seekers. You see, Jesus, if I could paint the picture, and I, I just love painting the picture of the context of what's going on here. Jesus has been healing, as he did quite regularly. He's been healing. He has a multitude of people around him. I mean, every time he, he does a tremendous miracle, like 
healing the mute and the deaf guy. Multitudes come around him and they bring all of their sick folks. They bring all of the ones that are in need, the, the paralyzed, the, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the, 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 the dead, and, and Jesus is healing. As a matter of fact, the Scriptures say in the previous chapters that He healed all of them. All of the ones that were around, it says He healed them all. I mean, He's done thousands of miracles, many say in the New Testament, and there's multitudes of people around him. And so don't miss the fact that in, even in our text, the multitude's still there because if you read a little further, you find, and then he says to the multitude. So the multitude's still there, but in the mix of the multitude, there's the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees are the religious rulers of that day. They, they're the ones that give you the, uh, they, they, they confirm what God's Word says. And so they're right there in the mix of what's going on. Now, Understand that Jesus is, he, he's got a crowd. He is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. The multitude is still there. And the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees said, we want you to perform a, a sign. In other words, teacher, vindicate yourself. And for them to call him teacher <laughs> is really a stab at him. They don't accredit Jesus as a teacher. As a matter of fact, it's kind of sarcasm being thrown at Jesus at this point. Show us a sign, and it's not just any sign, because they've seen many signs. I mean, they have seen Him heal people, raise people from the dead. But if you read the text in the New Testament, you'll find that in some places it actually says of the account here, show us a sign from heaven. It's almost as if it, it, they're saying, would you sh do something greater than you did the last time? Why don't you stop the sun in the sky? Why don't you cause the moon to just shoot across the heavens? Why don't you part a sea? Something greater than what you've done. And that's the whole point, is it not? And even in our own lives, that you'll never satisfy the desires of the flesh to see supernatural to, to, to get answers. And, and so sensitivity to seekers, if we were going to be a seeker-sensitive church in a biblical sense, we've got to be sensitive, and it starts by understanding what they're seeking. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, And He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I believe that there are people out there. As a matter of fact, I believe all people are seeking. They're seeking relief from the hurt that they're in. That's what a lot of the multitude was seeking. They had sick folks. They had folks that had passed away. They had crippled people. They, and when Jesus can provide that, they come because this is a need in their life that they have been seeking an answer for. Remember the lady with the issue of blood? For 12 years, the Bible says, she had sought relief. She had spent, the Bible says, all that she had on doctors, physicians, and she came to Jesus. I believe people were seeking relief. I believe people were seeking morality. And I'm going to make this statement, and I want you to please take this statement with you, church, as you leave out of here today. We're not fixing to walk out, but when you leave today, please take this statement with you. <clears throat> Be careful 
that you don't fall into the plight to make the United States of America moral once again with greater fervency than you seek to be righteous in Christ. Because, see, there's a lot of folks that want this place, the United States of America, to be, we just wish we had the morals we used to have. In other words, that's our way of saying we wish things were back like they were. A lot of people are seeking morality. Self-help programs, 12 steps, 7 steps, 5 steps, AA you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, drug rehab programs, marriage conferences, and, and, and we could just go on and on and on how to take care of my money, and, I'll, and I just want to be a good person. I'm afraid that there are a lot of people that are going to bust hell wide open because a lot of cre professing Christians have just lived as good people. And they have led a lot of people down the primrose path behind them. Many seek community. There are a lot of people that are a part of a lot of organizations. As a matter of fact, uh, to the shame on the church, there are a lot of people that are a part of these uh, organizations that do a lot of things for people, charitable things. And, and the, instead of being a part of what's going on at the church, and the reason they're not a part of what's going on at the church is because a lot of times the church ain't doing nothing. And so they seek involvement because they just have within them this need for community. As a matter of fact, that's one of the church growth pleas, is that if you can just provide community for people, they'll come and they'll get locked in. There's truth in that. There's truth in it, and I'll deal, kind of touch back on it in just a minute. Many people seek purpose. Why am I here? You know, they go for enlightenment everywhere you can turn. We'll, we'll, we'll get on mats and meditate, we'll chant, we'll do all kind of things to try to find purpose in life. Why am I here? The multitudes followed him because he could work miracles, some temporary miracles. As a matter of fact, many of them were temporary miracles, and I'll explain that, which could ease the pain of life. You know, there are a lot of people that come to church week in and week out and they feel better about themselves, they feel better about their situations until Monday. And then all of life seems to drop back on them on Monday. Did you know that when Jesus healed Lazarus, it was a temporary miracle? When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, last time I checked, Lazarus ain't still living. He died. And if God heals somebody of cancer here on this earth, that's just a thing He does with a body here on this earth because the body's going back to dust. It's just temporary. And let me just say this, and I want you to... I say these things because we have to have these things. We have to hear these things because the truth... I mean, it's the best thing for us, is it not? I'm, a, I'm not needing you to feed me, but I want you to at least come, come to this point with me so that I can go forward. Truth is the best thing, right? One more time. Truth is the best thing, right? I mean, if you disagree with that, that's fine, but I just if you agree with it, because I'm fixing to make a statement that God will do miracles for people that ain't even saved. 
So every time God does a miracle, it doesn't necessarily mean that that person is living for the Lord. He healed a lot of people in the New Testament, and here's what they did. They followed after Him, and when the multitudes got around Him, Jesus turned around, and He cut them to the heart, and the next thing you know, they left Him. And then you can go to the Scriptures, and it'll tell you that they went out from among us because they were not of us. Help me with a song. How many of y'all have ever seen The Wizard of Oz? Wizard of Oz? We're off to see the wizard. Come on, church. The wonderful wizard of Oz. Let's go back and let's start this. I'm going to do like the worship leader does. All right, so let's go back and let's... We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. And the best I can figure is five becauses. Because, 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 because. Because of what? The wonderful things he does. The whole plight of the whole movie is to get to the wizard because the wizard can help us. Did you know that none seek after God, though? Everybody is seeking. But the Bible says, and I love, what, I love to take His Word. This is what we have to go off of. Psalm 14, 2 through 3 says... The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who do, does good, no, not one. Now, Romans 3, 10 through 12 reiterates this in the New Testament. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Now, this is God's Word. None who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. So if they're seeking, if people are seeking, and you can give them something that entices them, that causes them to seek on into the doors, is it the thing that they need, or is it just the thing they seek? Is it air conditioning? You know, is it a kids program? Is it a youth program? Is it, is it, you know, some, just whatever? Because you know what I've come to find out? And don't get me wrong, we've got our technology too. And the reason the lights went out earlier is because the preacher unplugged something before I talked to somebody. I love trying to help churches as best I can for whatever reason, God's put that in my life, and they will, I'll go be invited, and they say, you know, if you had this space, what would you do with it? And I'll talk to them about it, you know. And they go, we want screens. And I go, we want screens. I said, that statement's about 20 years old. We want screens. See, even though we have screens... They don't do screens no more. They do LED walls. Screens cost a couple hundred dollars to a couple thousand dollars. LED walls cost jack. And the reason that we got to have LED walls is because the world has LED walls. And I'm not saying that you're anti-God if you have an LED wall. Okay? What I'm trying to tell you is, though, the world will come out with something else. 
And in order to keep people satisfied that just come because of the LED wall, then you got to step up into the holographic images and, and everything else. Some even have 3D holographic images of a person standing on the stage preaching because he can't be physically there. A lot of people seek it. Now, I'm not, I want you to hear my heart. I have dear friends that have churches that have LED walls, and they love Jesus, and they preach Jesus, but I'm just trying to tell you, we have to evaluate ourselves. You have to evaluate your own life. See, sensitivity to seekers, and now let me just show you, let me, before, I, before I leave this, th that point and go to the next, 38 and 39, I want to make sure, because I'm just going to walk right down through these verses. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. They wanted to trap him, but all the multitude, don't miss them, they're out there, and their mouths are watering going, Yeah, show us another miracle. Yeah. Heal somebody else. I'll go get my cousin. He's got a club foot, and we're going to get him healed. I got an aunt that can't hear good. We're going to get her healed. I've had this thing going on in my body for a long time, and it troubles me. I need it fixed. So, yes, don't miss that there are always people out there, even though the scribes and the Pharisees are doing what they're doing. And he answered and said to them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You see, sensitivity to seekers, if that's what we need to be, biblically sensitive to seekers, should lead us to the only answer that eternally fulfills what they're seeking. I love the fact that we give to humanitarian efforts here. We do. I just did a Facebook Live with Cleveland County Rescue Mission. And they wanted to do a spotlight on Chestnut Ridge because they can count on us to help out. As a matter of fact, their words were, if we're ever in a pinch, we know that we can call Chestnut Ridge because they will do whatever they got to do to make something happen in a pinch for us. We've been sending meals up there for over six years now, every single week, give or take some weeks through some things because when... COVID stuff started, it kind of got kind of crazy, but we adapted, and our folks here started individually bag bagging lunches for them with gloves on and masks on and putting all that stuff together and sending it up there. And that's good. You know, we, we, we help the... We help fill boxes for homeless people and even right now and there's a sign up sheet out there if it's ain't, if it ain't been filled all the way up because it was close to being filled up we're helping kids through the week at north elementary school we've adopted some kids our church has and every week we're supplying them with a package to go home the backpack ministry but see it's expanded now you say well and, and then a lot of people say well i thought don't they get food stamps oh yeah they do and mom and daddy take the food stamps and sell the food stamps and go buy drugs with them. Welcome to our world. And so in the middle of it all, and I just want to put this out there, the government was never meant to be a welfare system. The church was meant to be the welfare system. And welfare is not what you live off of. It's what helps you through a troubled time. But the church was supposed to be that. We let the government take that over, and look what's happened now. Everybody's living off of what should be a temporary situation. 
And now the depravity of the human heart has taken that, twisted it into something vile and vulgar. I mean, we have to watch out too our, ourselves. We, we have people, I've bought our own gift cards back that we gave people to help them out and they sold them pennies on a dollar. I went back and bought them 50 cents on a dollar to give out again. And I'm not mad because guess what? If it wouldn't be by the grace of God, I might be in the same situation. But by the grace of God, Christy even asked, was it last night or the night before? Wonder where we would be if it wasn't for God. Where, where would we be if it wasn't for Him? John 6, 35, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Psalm 107, 9, For He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Psalm twenty two twenty six says, The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Even if Jesus would have produced more signs, they still would have had to deal with the truth of the gospel. And that's something we've got to remember. You can't just hand somebody a funnel cake without giving them Jesus. You can't just give them clothes without giving them Christ. You can't give them a hand up with a monetary donation without telling them of the majesty of Christ and the, and the death that He died for their sins. You can't do it and be right before God because then all you're doing is feeding the sensitivity of seekers. But they're not looking for God. You have to show them God. They're not looking for Him. And I just want to put this in here right now. They're not looking for Him. Maybe online, maybe even in here today, you say, I just, I can't find the answers. I'm struggling. It seems I always go back and forth and back and forth. And I, I struggle with these things. Can I promise you something? There's only one answer and you don't know to look for it until God opens your eyes. I still have problems that come into my life. I still have needs that come into my life. You know, everybody, you got to take vitamin C, vitamin C. I'm going to have to go to Charlotte and get some IV stuck in me to have vitamin C because I can't handle it. My stomach just will not handle it. It burns me from the tip of my throat to the bottom of my bowels. It burns. And I can't do it. I have things that I need in my life that are physical needs. But I have somebody that lords over my life. His name's Jesus. I have somebody that if God so chooses to fix my body, He can fix it. 
I have somebody that if he so chooses to provide for a monetary need through a door that I didn't even see, he can do it, and he's done it. But I can't seek those things. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? The things that he so chooses for you to have in your life. And it'll come. John MacArthur says, Morality apart from the living Christ can never be more than a sham, and the more it is relied upon, the more dangerous it becomes. Listen to what he says. Listen to what goes on here. Jesus says that no sign shall be given you except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Right? Jonah the prophet would be three days, three nights in the belly of the great fish, and that the men of Nineveh the people of Nineveh would rise up in judgment with this generation against it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. And I want you to think about that. He said, ain't, you ain't getting nothing but Jonah. Jonah being three days, three nights in the belly of the great fish is a picture of Christ being buried and raised again to newness of life. And then the gospel that was preached to them was not a, well, let me put it to you this way. They didn't get petted. They didn't get begged. They didn't get pampered. They got a message of coming judgment from a prophet that didn't even like them. And see, that truth, listen, this truth, it, it, it stings sometimes, don't it? Well, I just want a pastor that loves me. And ain't nothing wrong with that. I love our church family. I love Jonah. I can't even say what I want to say that he was thinking and saying, but he said, I think they all ought to be judged. I don't want to go. As a matter of fact, he said, God, kill me. I don't want to go. I don't want them to repent. I know if I go over there and give them the message, they're going to repent and you're going to forgive them. And I don't want that to happen. I want you to think about that. This is the prophet that God is sending over there. <laughs> and he went over there, and they, he laid a message of judgment on them, and the Bible says everybody from the king to the least of them repented in sackcloth and ashes. Then there's this, the queen, listen, and the queen of the south will rise up, verse 42, in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. He's talking about Jesus Christ, greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon. But listen, this lady supposedly with her entourage traveled 1,900 miles, give or take. And, and they, they wouldn't buy train, plane, or automobile, neither. 1,900 miles, that's a long trip to sit at the feet of the man that was known at that time to be the wisest in the Word of God. It wasn't about Solomon. It was about what Solomon was given was the Word of God, wisdom from God. 1,900 miles. I just talked with somebody just a moment ago, two people. One of them, by the grace of God, I believe, come to faith in Christ, rattled by the gospel message, not me, said, I'm actually moving. It's 45 minutes away, but no problem. I'll drive it. 
That's a different story than I normally hear. Because I sit and a lot of times we, we won't even walk across the street because there's churches on every corner. And yet in third world countries and other places and all, they'll walk for hours and sometimes days to come and to be a part of a church service. Sometimes through snow. Sometimes through heat. Just to get to be assembled together with the people of God to hear the Word of God and to worship with people. And this lady comes all this way. You know, we often say about rehab, unless somebody's willing to crawl on their knees 20 miles in shorts or without anything covering their knees, they'll never make it through rehab. They've got to want to. Y'all ever heard? You heard that before. I've said it before. See, here's the difference, and this is what we got to understand as a church. You can want to all you want to. You can desire and seek after it. You can see, seek after answers, but you're, if you're lost, listen, if somebody's lost, and I, I preface it one more time, if somebody's lost, they are not seeking after God. So they can want to all they want to if God does not open their eyes, if God does not draw them. And that's what the Scriptures say, and I'll show it to you in a minute, but that's what the Scriptures say. Then you can't get it. You can't. Because if seeking it would get it, there are plenty of people out there that have been seeking a lot, have they not? A long time. They have gone through, listen, it's just, it's, it's, it's the picture of the lady with the issue of blood all over again. She sought and she sought and she sought and she sought and she sought. But it was not until she got a hold of Jesus that Jesus got, or until Jesus got a hold of her. The Jews had it all laid out before them. They had Christ, thousands of miracles, countless prophecies in the Scriptures, and they knew the prophecies, and it was preached in a message of love from Jesus Christ Himself, and they rejected Him, and don't forget, they rejected Him to the point that they crucified Him. Now, I want you to catch, catch a few things real quick as we move on to the end. They wanted them to give an ease to the pain of the life without them having to give up their right to control of themselves. That's what we're looking for outside of Christ look, coming to us. We won't fix, but we don't want to lose our independence. John 16, 8 and 9 says, And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in Me. And see, that's the key. It's got to be Christ. The church, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. He is the head. And so when we look at it, this last thought, and I kind of want to bring things around here. Sensitivity to seekers ultimately reminds us what happens if they never find Him. I'm saved today. You don't have to believe that. But I know that I'm saved. I just got through sharing with somebody that the reason I know that I'm saved is because God convicts me. God has opened my eyes to be able to, to understand His Word. I don't mean I know all of it, in and out, but I'm learning. But I, couldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to discern His Word without the Spirit inside me. I get convicted, 
if I of wrong that I've done and I've got to get it straight. I love people that I didn't normally love. I would not love the people that I love were it not for God causing me to love them. I'd be like Jonah. Let them all go to you know what, where. Right? I could care less. And I used to care less. Now I don't. Now my life is sold out to Him because the gospel message has to get out. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not signs. You know that God shut the, shut the signs down in the church when it started getting out of control? He did it Himself. He's got multitudes following after Him. And what does He do? He turns around, I told you, and He, and he basically rebukes them, and they all disperse. Every time the church was growing, mass numbers, then God turn, Christ would turn around and do that. Then in the New Testament church, Acts chapter 2, the church starts just blowing up. I mean, there's thousands of people coming to faith in Christ. There's miracles happening by the hands of the apostles. I mean, the lame man at, at, at the temple gate... He's laying there on his bed, and they, they, they you know, said, we don't have silver and gold to give to you, but what we do have, we give to you. And Peter and John said, in the name of Jesus, take up your bed and walk. And he gets up, and he's jumping, and there's miracles going on, and there's more than that going on. And when things start blooming, like getting crazy, what does God do? He killed Ananias and Sapphira to put stop to all the madness. Read your Bible and find out if he didn't. See what changed from that point forward. A reverence for the holy things of God took place. Why? Because somebody was lying to God. And I feel like in some ways that God is trying to stop us in our tracks. I mean, I, I'm not even getting into all that stuff, but I'm, I'm just telling you. I hope and pray that this is different than 9-11. I hope and pray that it's different than when the Twin Towers were attacked and fell and people come to church because, see, I think a lot of those people came to church. Now that I'm these years on this side of things and getting the Word of God a little bit further in me, they were hurting. I was hurting. People were hurting People didn't have answers. People were seeking, and they come seeking. But guess what? I'm afraid that so many of churches didn't have the gospel at the heart of what they do. And many of those people walked out because they were not seeking God. They were just seeking relief from the hurt. Matthew, I mean, Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to what happens. Catch the words in the text to what happens if we do not give the gospel to them and they do not come to Christ. And these will go away, Matthew 25, 46, into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. John 3, 16, one of our favorite verses, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not what, church? Perish. The eternal life part, we love catching the eternal life part, do we not? But they would have eternal life. Yep, that's what I want right there. Just give me that eternal life part. Kind of like the blind man says, can I see? Can you make me to where I see? 
But see, there's, a, a, there's something that goes along with that, and I want to take you there for, for closing. I've got some scriptures in Ephesians chapter 2, but I, I really feel led to this this morning. It's been on my heart. John chapter 3, a man comes to Jesus by night in the verse 1. His name's Nicodemus. It says he's a ruler of the Jews. He comes to Jesus, and before he can get out why he's there, Jesus knowing him, he says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So I want to share with you on line and you here, I want to challenge you right off the bat. Where are you at in this whole thing with Christ? See, Nicodemus was a dedicated man. As a matter of fact, you'd be hard-pressed because Jesus even said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will no way inherit eternal life. Now, he's not saying that you could reach that point, but he's saying that this group of people is more dedicated than anybody else could possibly be dedicated. You can't be, you could be as dedicated, but you can't be more dedicated. It was just not humanly possible to be more dedicated to God. And this is what you got to understand. Nicodemus and the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they, they're all, they're dedicated to God in their hearts and in their minds. They are very, very dedicated. Everything that they wear or don't wear is because they're dedicated to God. Everything they eat or don't eat is because they're dedicated to God. Everything they give or don't give is because they're dedicated to God. Everywhere they walk and everywhere they don't walk is because they're dedicated to God. They wouldn't wouldn't dare go through Samaria. Why? Because the Samaritans were Gentiles. That's why it was so weird for Jesus to be there with the woman at the well. They wouldn't pass through there because they didn't want the dust of the Gentile nation on their feet because they wanted to be dedicated to God. And we got people nowadays, oh, I'm just dedicated to God. Jesus did not tell Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you just need to be more dedicated. It just ain't quite there, Nicodemus. He didn't tell Nicodemus you need to be rededicated. Ah, you slid off the wagon a little bit, Nicodemus. You just need to be rededicated. <clears throat> Herb Revis said one time that we've turned our dedication altar, rededication altar, into a Catholic confessional booth. You see, I'm not big on rededication. I just had this conversation with a young lady out here at the end of this last service. Only you know whether you're saved or not. Truly. I, I don't. I can judge you by your fruits. I have a right to be a, a fruit inspector. I say judge. We, we throw that word. I don't judge people. We anyhow, whatever you want to call it. He said, you shall know them by their fruits. He gave us the right to be fruit inspectors. Especially within the household of faith, primarily. Because, I mean, an apple tree ought to have apples on it, right? Agreed? So, and this is what God does, but listen to me. There are a lot of people who come and they rededicate and they rededicate and they rededicate and they rededicate. I just need to rededicate my life to the Lord because I have strayed away and I've just not been following Him. I just need to rededicate my life. But nowhere in the Scriptures do you ever find a doctrine of rededication. And this is what cues me off to something. I can live in my righteousness of my flesh with a rededication because I have crawled 20 miles on my knees to come. And I'm rededicating my life to the Lord because, and I've put forth the effort. 
The Bible doesn't teach rededication. The Bible teaches repentance. And see, re repentance is different than rededication. Repentance says, Lord, and I, I'm just going to be as frank as I possibly can. You can. Anytime you ever want to, I'm not, I'm not a scholar, I promise you, but if I preach it, I can take you to it. And I don't preach everything in the Bible because I ain't there yet. And I'm just trying to tell you, a lot of times I'm pretty trivial in the, the, not the deep things of God, but I, what I bring, why? Because I want to make sure that I bring truth to you. That I know, that I know, that I know, that I'm bringing truth to you. <clears throat> Dedicated. Rededicated. Repentance. Repentance is this. Lord, without you I'm just a Gentile dog. I'm unworthy of any of the graces of God. Except for the fact that even a dog's worthy of the crumb that falls from a master's table. Read it. It's in the Bible. Lord, I'm unworthy. I'm an unworthy sinner that you saved by your amazing grace. But the Word of God says that if I'll confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy because you said that I could come boldly because I have a high priest, not of myself. I don't have anything to dedicate. God, I don't have anything to rededicate. The only thing I have is flesh outside of you. Do you realize, what would you rededicate? What is worthy of you to rededicate to the Lord? We never had nothing to dedicate to Him to begin with. We never had anything. What did we lay on the table for salvation? Listen, and you He made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the Spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love of which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together. He made us alive together. I didn't crawl on my knees to come to Him to make me alive. He came to me. He opened my eyes. He made me alive. He breathed into me a new life. As it says in Ezekiel 33, He sprinkled me with clean water. He took a heart of stone out. He put in a heart of flesh. He made us alive. And why did He make us alive? That He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, that we should walk in them. That's salvation and repentance. And it's something that He does. We don't do that. The gospel, Paul said, is the power of God unto salvation. He also said that the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but is to those of us that are being saved, it is the power of God. So here's my question to you. Have you spent your life that you know your church life rededicating? Lord, I just need to come try a little harder. I'm sorry, Lord, I failed. I, need to, I, I just need to 
pick myself up from with my, by my bootstraps. Y'all have heard that before, right? Lord, I just, uh, I tell you what, Lord, I'm meaning it this time. I mean, Lord, I really, 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 really mean it, God. I'm going to follow you this time. Preacher, I want to change. Preacher, did you see so-and-so? Boy, they sure have changed their life. And I just hate that none of that's biblical. You don't change your life. He does. You don't come to Him. He comes to you. You don't seek Him. He seeks you. You don't go get the Holy Spirit out of a vending machine. He comes and indwells you. You don't go buy a different set of glasses, reading glasses at Dollar General so that you can see the Bible. He does that. You don't start loving people because you just, oh, now I see I need to have compassion on people. I'm going to try harder to love people. I know a lot of people and have counseled with a lot of people that try. And it breaks my heart because I can't. I'm not God. I can't give all... All I have is the gospel, but the gospel is all we need. And so that's my question to you today. Are you one of someone, whether you're online, you can message us, you can call us, whatever. Are you someone that is searching for answers to life, but you've never found peace? You've never, it's just, it still don't make sense and you're just trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you've put forth all the effort and the tr truth of the matter is you're tired. I'd encourage you when you go home read a few chapters back because that's where Jesus said take my yoke upon me. And he said that to a bunch of people that were trying and they were wore out from trying. So it don't matter how many times you've been to church, it don't matter how many years you've been to church, it don't matter how many Sunday school classes you've taught, none of that, none of that stuff matters. Has, have all, has all you've ever done been rededicate your life to the Lord? Or are you saved? And I mean, that's something I want you to have just to, I mean, this is important. Are you saved? I should stand with me for just, just a moment, if you would. And right where you are, if you would, could you just, and I, I know this seems so cliche, but could you just bow your heads for just a moment? I just want you to have a moment between you and the Lord. There's no magic in bowing your heads. I just don't want you to worry about anybody else around you. I don't care whoever you come with. I just want you to be engaged with the Word of God at the moment. I wonder if there's anybody in here, anybody online, that would simply say this. I really don't think I'm saved. If I was to die right now, I don't know what in the world would happen. 
whatever it is in your heart that is not salvation, but that's what you've been trying to accomplish, and it's just not been working, can I invite you to Christ at this moment? The Bible says that all of sin falls short of the glory of God. We read that. The Bible also says that sin entered this world by one man and death by sin. We're all going to die one day. We're very aware of that in the day that we live in. We've lost a lot of people just this year even. We're going to die. After that's the judgment. That means that we're guilty. If we're guilty, that means we're lawbreakers and the penalty for breaking any of God's law is the same penalty. It's death. So that God's wrath would not be, it won't be quenched, but it would be poured out upon us in that spiritual death. Jesus Christ come to die a substitutionary death for us. He, he, he gave Himself a sinless, spotless lamb in our place on Calvary's cross. He took the punishment for us. And He stands with you today. He stands today with His hand outstretched with the gospel saying, if you would come to me, a repentant sinner, and believe in what I did on the cross, that you'd be saved and that He would be the Lord of your life from this point forward. My, my challenge to you is this. Would you think twice about the fact that there are people all around you groping in the darkness and they have no hope apart from the gospel? And if you're saved, you have the gospel. And God has commanded us to take the gospel to them. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life, uh, God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me, that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today, that you would today before God just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins, and I want to live for him from this point forward. If you pray that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us. And so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.